Hey everyone, welcome back to the Sermon Podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location where each week you will hear a message designed to help you learn more about God, grow in your love for God and others, so that you can go and live a life driven by faith. There's a big difference, isn't there, between knowledge, the ability to know something, and wisdom, which is the ability to put that knowledge into practice in day-to-day life. Right now, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is all about how you and I are to live as followers of Jesus Christ in day-to-day life. It's an important conversation, so I hope you enjoy it, and I hope you listen closely, because I believe God has something He would like to say to you. I would like for you, if you would, to either grab a scrap piece of paper or maybe open up a, a notes thing on your phone, or maybe you grab that connection card that you have, and there's pins right in front of you, and this is what I'd like for you to do for just a couple of seconds here. I would like for you to make a quick list of three things, and this is the question I'd like for you to answer. What words describe, best describe, a good friend? Just, I just want your top three. The top three that come to your mind, just take a minute. Write them down. If you write them down, that'd be hugely helpful. I'm not going to ask you to, I'm not going to embarrass anybody. No one's standing up and sharing their list right now. But for you, what words best describe a good friend? Just take a moment and write them down. And I would ask if someone would be so bold as to just share one word from your list. Is anyone willing to share one word? What's one word you wrote down? What what word best to you describes a good friend? Joe, what's one? Unconditional. Unconditional. No matter what, they are with you. Sure. What else, Jeanette? Loyal. Loyal. A good friend is loyal. A good friend is unconditional love. We got one more. What's one more? Trustworthy. Trustworthy. A good friend is trustworthy. It's good. You know, there's something that many of us, I think, when we make this list, and we don't do it intentionally, leave off the top three. There's something that a good friend does for us that is crucial, that we need. And some of us would go as far to feel like maybe good friends don't do this, but there is this thing that the best friends in our lives do for us that we need. When we think about what makes a friend, we often leave it off the list. But this morning, we're going to talk about this thing. And we're going to look at the book of Proverbs, which if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that the book of Proverbs is a father writing to his young son, telling him all the sorts of pieces of advice and wisdom that he thinks his son is going to need. And in this book, in chapter 27, where we'll be in just a moment, the father says to his son, Something about friendship that's so important and so profound, but not only do we forget it when we're young, we forget it when we're older. And I think not even do we need to hear this father say it to his son, but through his word, we need to hear God speak to us this morning and talk to us about the kind of people we surround ourselves with. There's this thing that's true that sets up this whole conversation And we know it's true, but sometimes we don't like to really think about its effects on our lives. And the truth is this, who we spend our time with determines what we become. Who we spend our time with determines 
what we become. And there's a part of that that we may not like, because we like to think of ourselves as strong, and we like to think of ourselves as, as that we can rise up above the other people around us and, and be who we would be anyway and do the things that we would do anyway. But the truth is, if you look at the research or if you think about it, the people we hold closest to us affect very deeply what we become. In fact, the father in the book of Proverbs says this to his son a few chapters earlier in chapter 13. And he says it this way, this way, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Whoever walks with the wise becomes, it determines, it helps uh, function, it helps shape what they become. They become wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And the father is saying to the son, listen, who you spend your time with will determine what you become. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm harm. And we know that there's something about this that is true, right? In fact, I was reading an article earlier this week that was talking about the effectiveness of, of Alcoholics Anonymous over the years. And you know, the experts in the field have trouble determining exactly why that program has been so successful over and against other programs. And this article that was in Wired Magazine was saying at the end of the day, all anyone can figure out is there is power in surrounding yourself regularly with people who are trying to go to the same place you're trying to go. And so you can do all the one-on-one -on -one counseling that is required, but what you really need, and the article went on to describe the effects of this on things like PTSD and other addictions, how powerful it is to surround yourself in groups with people that are trying to go from the same place you are to a new place. And to have people in the group who have already walked that journey is a powerful thing. There's power in that. If I want to become a certain thing, it's important that I surround myself with the right who that will help determine the what. It was interesting in the article, they also talked about some of the negative effects. How research has shown that if you have close friends who are, let's say, heavy drinkers, you're 50% more likely to follow suit. And so it works both ways, doesn't it? The wise become more wise, and the, the, when we surround ourselves with the wrong people, we take on things and do things that we would never necessarily want to do. I think about a guy like Jim Collins, who's a big business guru, and he spent years and years and years, he wrote a book called Good to Great, and he spent years and years monitoring the leaders of, of companies who beat their sector of the market for 15 straight years. They looked at all the different sectors of the marketplace, and he took the CEOs whose companies for 15 straight years beat all the other companies in their sector of the market, and he watched them and interviewed them and studied them. And one of the big conclusions he drew was that those companies answered the question who before they answered the question what. They thought about who they should surround themselves with, who should be on the team, who should be working closely together, and then the right what was the result. And the same is true for us. We need to pay attention to who we are surrounding ourselves most closely with. It makes a big difference in what we become. So who's the right who? That's the question now. If that's true, 
if we, are, if we are influenced by the people that we keep closest to us, the next question becomes, well, who is the right who? And we made our list, right? And we wrote down the things that, the top three things, that these are the kinds of people that if I wanted to grow and I wanted to become a good person and I wanted to move from where I am now to being more like the person God has intended me to be, this is the kind of person that I would want to keep close to me. But there's this thing. There's this thing that good friends do that you and I need. In fact, we will not grow without it. If we're looking for good people to influence us so that we become more like the person God wants us to be, there is this thing that you and I need that our true friends bring into the relationship. But many of us fail to realize how important it is. Proverbs chapter 27, we're just looking at verse 6. This is what the father says to his son. Son, when you're picking your friends, remember this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It's interesting, isn't it? Just keep that verse up there for one second. It's interesting. If I was going to say, hey, I'm going to write a saying, the saying includes the word friend and enemy. It also includes the word kisses and wounds. With whom would you associate the word wounds and with whom would you associate the word kisses? If I was writing the phrase, I would say something like, faithful are the kisses of a friend, profuse are the wounds of an enemy. But the father reverses them for his son. And he says, listen, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. In 2010, Ellen DeGeneres was a judge on American Idol for one season. She had a a much bigger contract, and she left a ton of money on the table, a giant pile of money on the table to never come back. And they asked her, why? Why? Because we're all intrigued when someone does something like that. And she said that it was her schedule when she was interviewed. Her schedule was just too busy. But on her own website, when she wrote about it and and was honest about it, she said the reason that she left wasn't just her schedule. The reason was she could not look at someone on the stage with their hopes and dreams in front of them and tell them how bad they were. She couldn't look someone in the eye and be honest with them in that moment. And that would be hard, wouldn't it? You think about the judges on those shows. There's only one that anyone wants to hear from, right? Because there's only one that really has the guts to tell people where they really are in the process. And that, of course, is Simon Cowell. Everyone wants to hear from that guy. If they want to get any better, if they want to grow at all, they really care what he thinks about them. Because he's the one that has the guts to stand up and tell them where they really are. Maybe he could be nicer about it sometimes. But he's the one that will challenge them. The father looks at his son. He says, son, you want to grow into the man God's intended you to be? You want to grow into the person that God's made you to be? Here's what you need. You do not need to surround yourself with people that will only cheer you on. You don't need to surround yourself with people who will just cheer you on. But when I think of a good friend, that's what I want. If I was to list the top three things I want in a friend, 
I want that friend to love me no matter what. I want that friend to encourage me no matter what. I want that friend to cheer me on even when life is at its worst and I feel like I'm failing in everything that I'm doing. I want a friend to look at me and to say, it's going to be okay, keep going. You know what I kind of want? I, I kind of want, you ever watch a sporting event that has cheerleaders? Even if a team is getting absolutely pummeled, those cheerleaders are still cheering, all right? If you watch a football game and one team is getting absolutely beat into the ground, I can promise you that their cheerleaders are smiling and happy and still cheering them on. And you know what? That's kind of what I want in a friend. I want someone that no matter how tough life gets and no matter how bad it really is and no matter how much I screwed up, that they come alongside me and they cheer me on. And the father says to his son, if you surround yourself with people who do that all the time, all you've done is surround yourself with enemies. Those are actually your enemies, the father's telling his son. The people that will just tell you life is good all the time, tell you how great you are all the time, they're doing you no favors. The father tells his sons he needs is he needs a true friend who will tell him not just what he wants to hear, but what he needs to hear. And true friends do that for us. They tell us what we need to hear, not just what we want to hear, that they challenge us. They encourage us to be better. They encourage us to grow. We need someone to come alongside of us who loves us and has relationship with us. Not who shouts from behind an avatar on social media. Not who judges us from a distance. But people who are close to us, who know us and care about us to come alongside us and challenge us when we're not living the life that God's called us to live, or we're not doing the things that we know we should be doing. And the father says to his son, if all you want is are people close to you who will just tell you everything's great all the time, you're not surrounding yourselves with friends. In fact, he goes even further. You're surrounding yourselves with enemies. It reminds me of a young man in the Bible who... It would be hundreds of years later that his story would come into the book. There was a young man at just the time when Jesus was living in the first century, and his name was John Mark. He would have been a, a, a boy when Jesus went to the cross and died and raised again. But as he grew up, the church began to spread in the known world. And some of you who are familiar with the text and familiar with the story know that there was a man named Paul. There's a apostle named Paul who wrote over half the New Testament and who went on what we now call missionary journeys throughout the known world, planting churches and telling people about Jesus. There was no other way to spread the news in those days. And so Paul was traveling from city to city and place to place, telling people about who Jesus is and why they should follow him. And like any good leader, Paul, on his first missionary journey, the first one he ever went on, and these would take weeks and weeks and weeks, months and months and months, Paul brought a young mentee that he could bring with him named John Mark. And I don't know how old John Mark was, but we know from the context of the text that he was a young man. 
Paul brings him along. And you know what happens? A little bit into the journey, John Mark comes to Paul. And I don't know, maybe, you know, a younger guy, maybe this was, you know, like ancient millennials or something, and he had worked a week and felt like he deserved a sabbatical or something. But he came to Paul, he came to Paul, and he said, he said, you know, Paul, this is a long trip. Uh, I miss home. There's no cell signal out here, and I can't do it. So he went home, and Paul had to arrange some, a bus ticket or a train ticket or some way to get John Mark back home. And in the middle of the journey, John Mark came to Paul and said, that's it, I got to go, go back. And he left and went home. So watch what happens. Paul comes back after this big trip. And then there's a period of time, and it's time for Paul to go out again on another journey. And watch what happens. This is Acts chapter 15, verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. So Barnabas is the man who had also gone with Paul on that first journey. Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark, they were all together. Now Barnabas, he wanted to take with them John, who was also called Mark. So Barnabas, this is Barnabas. Barnabas is an encourager, and we know because they actually changed his name. The early Christians changed his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was such an encourager, such a cheerleader, that they changed his name to cheerleader, basically. And Barnabas, he sees young John Mark, who went home on the first journey, and all he sees is a giant ball of potential, and he wants to encourage him and strengthen him for the days ahead. And Barnabas says, let's take John Mark with us. But Paul, being the hardworking baby boomer who doesn't take quitters, right, he thought it best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Sometimes we want to get back to the early church. The early church had its own problems too. Watch what happened. And there arose such a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas so that they separated from one another. They were so upset with each other over this John Mark thing. Mr. Encouragement wanted to bring him and Paul couldn't handle it. He didn't want him to quit again. He was done with John Mark. They fought over this so deeply that they went their separate ways. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. It's an interesting story. And John Mark had two people in his life. One who was a cheerleader. He said, listen, I know what happened last time. It's okay. You can do this. And one who was a challenger, who said, no, you got to prove to me that you are up for the task. And it's just interesting when you look at John Mark's life and where he went from that moment. And I don't know everything else that happened, but John Mark goes on to be the author of the Gospel of Mark, which chronologically is the first narrative of Jesus' ministry that was written. So John Mark goes on to author the Gospel of Mark, the second book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, that's his book. And Paul, later in his ministry, look what he says about this young man. Paul's writing to another mentee named Timothy, and he says this. He says, Luke alone is with me, but get Mark, that's John Mark, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me. For ministry. The kid grew up. 
And you just have to wonder the impact that it had to have both cheering in his life and someone who would challenge him. Not out of being mean, but out of love to challenge him to grow up. It's the same thing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us friends. He says it to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says it very clearly to his disciples. I have called you friends. And here's what this relationship with Jesus Christ looks like. I love the way Pastor Tim Keller says it. He says it this way. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. The gospel is this. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is this. You are more sinful than you could ever imagine, than you would ever dare think about yourself, but you are more loved in Jesus Christ than you could ever believe or hope for. And when we talk about relationship with Jesus Christ, we talk about friendship with Jesus Christ, this is what we are talking about. You enter into a relationship where you are both cheered and challenged, where God comes and says, I love you so much that no matter who you are and where you're from and what you've done or what's been done to you, I am sending my son to die on the cross for you that you might have relationship with me. But we got some work to do. There are areas in your life where you need to grow. You are not the person that God made you to be. There is sin that has to be dealt with and forgiven, and not just forgiven, but rooted out, and you need to move forward in that. There are areas of your life where you need to be encouraged, and and the Holy Spirit needs to be at work in your heart and in your mind to make you more the person that God wants you to be. In fact, many of us, many people, and maybe some of you are in the room today, this is why we reject this whole thing. We love that God loves us and cheers us on. We don't like that God challenges us and wants us to be different. But we need people around us. We need a God who calls us to something greater, who challenges us to grow. There's a practice in gardening and horticulture, and I'm no horticulturist. Take a look at the bushes in front of my house, and you will be convinced in a second. But there's this practice called pruning. Practice called pruning, and the people who are experts at it know how to take a plant and actually have it yield more flowers or better fruit by wounding the plant and challenging it to grow. I mean, you think about the process, it doesn't make sense. That the plant is growing, and branches are growing, and shoots are growing, and it actually makes more sense. The plant will come back healthier and stronger and yield more fruit if the branches are cut back and cut down by an expert who knows what they're doing and cares enough about the output of that plant to do the hard work of wounding the plant so it can come back stronger. You and I need that too. We are living in a world right now that teaches us to listen to the people that give us a thumbs up on everything we do and to block and ignore the people who would ever challenge us otherwise. 
But if we are going to go anywhere, we need true friends who will challenge us to grow. A couple of years ago, another person who I know who's in ministry came to me and said to me, you know, I think you and I could benefit from a friendship where we meet regularly and we encourage one another in ministry, but we also challenge one another in places where we need to be challenged. And so we meet. We've met for a number of years now, about every six weeks, and we sit down together and everything's on the table. He knows pretty much everything about me and my life and my family, and I know everything about him. We share things with each other that we wouldn't necessarily have the freedom to share with everybody else or want to share with everybody else. And in those moments, we cheer one another on and we challenge each other in those areas in our lives where we are still being developed into the people that God wants us to be. We challenge one another to continue to grow and put practices in our life that help us to grow and pray for one another and uphold each other so that we might become more like Jesus Christ. And if you are going to move forward in your relationship with God, your relationship with others, and who God has called you to be, you need close friends that not only cheer you on, but also challenge you to grow. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. My prayer for you is that if you don't have that, that you would begin praying today that God would provide that in your life. Maybe you have it and you've been ignoring it. Maybe there is someone in your life who you know loves God and loves you, who's been trying to help you, not to hurt you, but to help you grow. Pray about that. Maybe God would call you to listen. Maybe that person's trying to help you become the person God's called you to be. Perhaps they're your best friend and you don't realize it yet. And are you that kind of friend to others? Not who judges from afar, not who without relationship comes and tells people how they're all messed up. That's, that's not helpful to anybody. But with your closest friendships, people with whom you are like-minded and trying to grow in Christ, are you willing not just to cheer, but to challenge? What would God do in and through us and through the church if when we got together, we challenged each other in that way? I think he would do amazing things for his glory. I'm going to invite our worship team forward as we close this morning. And as I pray in just a moment, maybe God would put on your heart an area where you are being challenged. And maybe you're ignoring that word, but God's going to say to you this morning, you need to be listening to this. I'm trying to encourage you to grow. Or maybe God's going to put on your heart that he's calling you to challenge someone else in your life that you've been watching. And God's going to put it on your heart to go and to very lovingly and kindly and compassionately challenge. After we pray and the music begins, some of the leaders of our church are going to be in the back of the room. My wife, Laura, and I will be back there. I'm going to ask Justin and Alyn to be back there if you would. 
And we're here to pray with you. Maybe you walk in this morning and there's a need on your heart. Could be about what we've just talked about. It could be about something else going on in your life or in your family's life. While we sing and worship, come back. We want to pray with you. God, we just thank you. Thank you that you love us enough to challenge us. Thank you that you love us enough not to let us stay where we are, but to, through your love and grace and truth and compassion, challenge us to grow. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who dwells within us and makes us more like the people that you've created us to be. God, help us to press into that, not just into the encouragement, which we all love, but into the challenge of becoming more like Jesus Christ, becoming more like the people you created us to be. And God, as brothers and sisters in Christ, help us to do that well for one another, all for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening to the podcast from Mount Hope's Belmont location. At Mount Hope, we gather in Belmont every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 1045 a.m. and in Burlington at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. Each week that we gather, we do so to learn more about God, grow in our love of Him and others, and then we go to live lives driven by faith. If you live in the Burlington or Belmont, Massachusetts areas, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday. You can learn more about us by visiting our website at mounthope.org, M-O-U-N-T-H-O-P-E.org, or follow us on Twitter or Instagram at mthopebelmont. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to having you listen again next week.